Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, here's the way we do it at FCBC. We live, we love, we serve. Good. Peace and blessings, family. Listen, <clears throat> this morning, as our worship experience began, opened by Pastor Heaven, she declared one of our affirmation statements. In part, I am the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on me. And in me, God finds favor. I am the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on me. And in me, God finds favor. That's one of our affirmation statements generated many years ago, but still stands strong and tall in FCBC and the life of FCBC. That affirmation comes from a particular passage of Scripture that is seen in three different versions in the New Testament. So this morning, I invite you just for a little while to join me in reading found in the Gospel of Luke in the third chapter, these words, Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. And I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And here's how it reads, beloved. Now, when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Come on, let's let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you this morning. We are so grateful, O oh God, that you continually make yourself known in our midst. We've learned through our journey with you, O oh God, that, that your presence is life-giving. Your presence is life-affirming. And God, we are grateful for your presence. For with your presence, O oh God, comes your protection. With your presence, O God, comes your provision. With your presence, O God, comes your power. And we are grateful. We are thankful for your presence in our lives. Now, O God, let your word do its own work on today. And we will make sure that we honor you and honor you, O God, by honoring one another in the fullness of our humanity and in the fullness of our possibility. Thank you. 
for that responsibility to honor one another. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, family, let me read that again. <clears throat> in your hearing, uh, Luke 3, <coughs> uh, verses 21 and 22. Luke 3, verses 21 and 22. And here's how it reads. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. <clears throat> I want to read that again. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This morning, just briefly, I want to speak from the subject, necessary clarity. Necessary clarity. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, in Luke's gospel, enters the scene like a dynamo. He comes in the fullness of his conviction of his assignment from God. His assignment is clear. Prepare the way. Get the people ready for the arrival of the one who would be the redemption of Israel. John, in honoring that call, that assignment, not only proclaimed that the kingdom, which would be made fully known in the embodiment of the coming one, that the kingdom was on the way, that the kingdom of God was set to be made manifest, and in the process, John was imploring people, if you want to be part of this movement, want to be part of this kingdom, maybe now is a time to experience a renewal, to experience a rebirth, to experience a reimagining of your own potential possibility and identity. And so John's desire in that moment was to accompany the arrival with the kingdom with the baptism of those who would then be in position for the kingdom of God made known in their midst. So there was John on divine assignment, teaching, and for some, warning that things were about to change, that he was truly that voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the people for the arrival of God's new move in God's new day through the Messiah. That was John's assignment there in the wilderness. I remember many years ago reading a sermon from the late, great Sandy Ray, and he says something that always stuck with me. He said, John was a voice crying in the wilderness, but maybe the wilderness was crying for a voice. 
Maybe something about the moment, maybe the oppression by Rome, maybe the, the timidity of the people, maybe the, the, the oppressive regime and its violent and abusive ways towards the people, maybe something about that context, the oppression, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering. Maybe in that moment, the wilderness needed a voice, not a voice to deliver, but a voice to tell the people, get ready, because God's move is about to be made known. And John baptizes. John's gifts and John's assignment were made for one another. His gifts of courage and tenacity, not easily intimidated, a little on the wild side, were perfect for an assignment that would be a revelation that God was up to something new. Maybe, 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 maybe sometimes God chooses the Johns of the world, who don't always fit into the neat and packaged idea of what it means to be on divine assignment, who don't always look the part or sound right, but somehow in the midst of what they don't look like, they look right for God to use. Maybe, maybe, maybe God chooses the Johns of the world who don't always fit in, who do things a little different, who seem a little strange, who some even laugh at and see as a a character and caricature of what someone may, may look like who claims to be doing God's work. Maybe something about the Johns of the world. And maybe some of us who are the Johns of the world have a hard time embracing our assignment because we're busy concerned about how we appear to everybody else. And that's not John's concern. John is not concerned with what people think. John is not worried about how they feel. All John knows is that his assignment is clear. And there in the early portion of of Luke 3, John makes it clear. I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And he was so intense in his assignment, so deliberate, I said, so tenacious, so audacious that people began to wonder, is he the Messiah? There in Luke's gospel, you see the people began to talk among themselves whether John might be the Messiah. John one day overhears the people wondering if he's the Messiah, and the people began to wonder. And John said, no, no, I'm not that one. I baptize you with water, but my God, there's one who is on his way who will baptize you with, with a piercing fire whose sandals I'm not even worthy to touch and take off. One who comes in the power of God. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat in his granary, but the chaff will fall away. This one who will come after me will do what I can't do. I'm the announcer. He's the embodiment. But the people began to question even in spite of God's proclamation that he was not the one, they still wonder. It's amazing how how we love elevating people we don't always understand at times. I know we can destroy people we don't understand, but sometimes when, when we feel that the individual is doing something that is of some profound benefit, we will elevate. But thank God that John doesn't get caught up in the people's praise or adulation. Now, I want you to hear this, beloved. The people are questioning. The talk is abounding. We know what John has been saying, but maybe he's the one that we've been waiting for. Maybe this is what it looks like to be the one to lead 
a different kind of move against Rome. Everyone was talking about it. The buzz was in the air. He's out there by the sea baptizing, talking about the kingdom of God. We've never heard anything like that before. And he's doing it with such courage and audaciousness and such bravery. Maybe he's the one that God has been sending and had been preparing to lead us to the day where we would overtake our oppressors. The chatter was in the air. John might be the one. John might be the Messiah. John might be the one. He may be the one that our ancestors talked about, that there would come a day when a Messiah would come and turn things right side up. Maybe John is the one. You know how people do. The chatter had to abound. The talk had to abound. And people, if they weren't talking about it, were hearing the conversation. John might be the one. John might be the Messiah. I wish you could just put yourself in the space. Here you are among the people who are oppressed by the empire, waiting for the day when the oppression would end, always looking for the one who would arrive in John's, again, tenacity and audaciousness and courage and boldness to speak truth to power. Maybe John is the one I know he said he may not be, but maybe he's the one. We've never seen anyone quite like John before. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's Messiah. People began to talk and chatter and chatter and talk, and the word began to spread throughout lower Galilee and the lower Judean Valley. There's someone here who may be the one, maybe the Messiah. And I'm telling you, the word began to spread because even the religious leaders, the establishment, the high priests, they heard about John and the Pharisees came out to the Jordan. Although they were on a different kind of assignment, they were the buffers of Rome for the people, but they came out to hear John. And I'm convinced that those who came, even the religious leaders, even the high priests, when they came to John, maybe deep down, even though they were benefiting from Roman oppression, and Roman occupation, maybe deep down in their spirit, they were also longing for the day when one would come to deliver them from their own oppression. Although they were benefiting from Rome's power given to them, maybe they were, maybe that's why they went out to see who John was. Maybe they were thinking he might be the one. He might be the Messiah. That chatter was abounding. It was abounding. It was abounding. The people were talking and the people were listening. The people were talking. Oh, you're going to get it. And the people were listening. The people were talking and the people were listening. And one of the people who was listening was John's cousin. His mother told him he was special. That there was something sacred about him. Maybe Mary had told him about what she had heard, that upon him all of the hopes of Israel would rest. Maybe, maybe, maybe his mother made him feel significant, especially when the people in town already questioned the identity of his father. Maybe like most people who love their children, when we see there's a deficiency, we try to compensate and sometimes overcompensate. I know there had to be moments when he might have felt bad about who he was as a little boy. Mother may have said, no, there's something special about you. All of Israel is waiting on you. Can you imagine living with that possibility and then hearing that your cousin may be the one? In Luke's gospel, third chapter, Verse 21 and 22, look how it begins. No fanfare. It said the people were baptized, and look what it says. And Jesus was also baptized. 
No fanfare about his arrival in Luke's gospel, about his coming, about his going to water. Mark talks about how he came down and, and the conversation between uh, Jesus and John and John not feeling worthy and Matthew. I mean, it's there. It abounds. But in Luke's gospel, none of that. It said Jesus was baptized like the others. Nothing significant about his baptism. No conversation around him. The conversation was around John. And it said, after he was baptized, it said, and while he was praying, that's the part, while he was praying. Jesus, what, what were you praying about? I mean, we'll never know. It doesn't say it, but I do know this, that there are very few moments in the scriptures where it says, and Jesus was praying. And sometimes the prayer is a time of confidence. We he affirms what God has done and will do, and sometimes the prayer is a time of wrestling, like in Gethsemane. I'm not sure what time this was, but I sense this may have been one of those wrestling prayers, the kind of prayers we pray to God when we're not sure, but a specific kind of uncertainty. It's possibly when we're not sure of our assignment. I know for some that is hard to bear, but hear me out this morning. I, I, I am convinced that Jesus may have been wrestling at this moment, very much like he wrestled with the assignment in Gethsemane towards the end. Because I have to believe if you can wrestle about the assignment at the end, you may have wrestled about the assignment in the beginning. And you've been there. You've been there, beloved. When, when you felt certain about something, and then the tide turns, and then life shifts, and then people talk, and all of a sudden, the thing you were certain about, you're not so sure of anymore. You go through the motions, but that doubt still lives. What if that was Jesus? He's no less special, no less gifted, but it puts him in direct contact with us. I'm sure of that part. It was Paul who said that Jesus was as we are, human, feeling the same feeling, running through the same emotions. And if Jesus is supposed to be the possibility for God and for us, I got to know and feel he felt some things. And the scriptures abound with times when you felt the emotion, his frustration, his sorrow, his sadness. And here, what if it's his wrestling? Baptized but still not clear, baptized, but still not certain, baptized, but still doubt lingering. And while he's praying and possibly wrestling, Luke says something profound happened. The heavens cracked open and the spirit, the symbol of divine presence, comes down in the form of a dove and rests upon him. The symbol of divine presence comes. And the symbol of divine presence would have been enough, but the presence doesn't come without the voice. And he's sitting there praying. Mark's gospel said that this moment happened when Jesus came out of the water, when he rose out of the muddy, murky, dirty Jordan. But this time, the baptism is over. The marking is done. 
And now he is praying. And in Luke's version, it is while he is praying, divine interruption. Maybe, again, he's praying for clarity. What am I to do? How should I proceed? How should I go forward? And I know you've been there. There have been those moments, yes, you trust God, and yes, you love God, and yes, you believe in God. But there are those moments where you are desiring clarity. And we don't always get what we ask for. We don't always get what we wish for. But it doesn't negate the struggling. And it doesn't negate the wrestling. And it doesn't negate the the struggling. And it doesn't negate the wrestling. And it doesn't negate the struggling. And it doesn't negate the wrestling. And sometimes we're waiting for God to intrude upon our self-doubt. To validate, confirm that what we have been hearing in whispering tones is actually God's desire. When your hopes meet God's desire, when your longings meet God's expectation, something profound happens. The Spirit descended, and then the voice came. You are Oh, I wish the writer that day had access to emphasize certain words, but, but, but if, I, if I had to in, in, give emphasis somewhere, you are, for me that R would be in all caps, you are. I know his identity is a struggle because if you read beginning in verse 23, the writer of Luke for some reason needs to try to make a connection of his identity as being a son also of Joseph, so some thought. You read the rest of the chapter. Somehow, the identity issue is surrounding this. And before this scene, they're wrestling. The people are wrestling. Who is the Messiah? It might be John. After the scene, the writer of Luke is trying to demonstrate some connection, some identity. And in the middle of there, God gives clarity. You Ah, I don't care how you feel. I don't care what people say. I don't care how they've been talking about you, knowing the story of your mother and you, knowing that she was pregnant before marriage. I don't care about any of that. You are my son. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody says. You are my son. You are my daughter. The chatter does not undermine your potential. The gossip does not undermine your potentiality. You are my son. You are my daughter, comma, the beloved. You are the child that I love sacredly and dearly. Oh, to get that kind of clarity. But you do have it. You are the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on you. And in you, God finds favor. How do I know I can find favor? Because Luke showed me Jesus found it one day. You are my son, the beloved. And in you, I am well pleased. And some of us right now who grew up in certain religious environments, we thought we had to earn God's love. How do you work hard enough to guarantee the love of the infinite? What labor, what, what, what undertaking must you engage in to guarantee God's love? Like, what can you do with your finite, dusty self 
to bring pleasure to the eternal, infinite God. No, that God gives love as grace and gift, and we receive it in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've ever done. You and I, son, daughter, the beloved of God. And every now and again, when those moments of self-doubt creep into our conscience and infiltrate our spirit, it comes necessary clarity. Sometimes it comes from people on assignment to clarify. Sometimes, I'll say it again, it comes from people on assignment to clarify. I've had those people. People who I didn't necessarily know, people who I never met, saw what other people saw and spoke it. And here's the thing I love, just when I needed it, not when I always wanted it, but just when I needed it, just when I was about to collapse into self-doubt in such a way that collapsing into self-doubt would have undermined who God wanted me to be, just when I needed it. Just when I was about to throw in the towel and turn around and walk away, like my first year at Divinity School when I struggled and my family was struggling, we were hungry and didn't have food and couldn't pay rent, and I was ready to leave Divinity School, it took a sermon from Sam Proctor just when I needed it. God has a way of reminding you, yes, it may be tough, and yes, it may be difficult, and yes, you may seem a little confused, and yes, it may be a little hard, but you are my son, and you are loved, and I am pleased. And I got to work for you. And I got a calling on your life. And I have an assignment for you. But before you work, before you do anything under divine assignment, no, you have divine presence and you got my love. And with my presence and my love, you do not have to worry about being validated and accepted and confirmed by places and spaces and people who do not have a genuine desire to see you be your best self. Every now and again, you need clarity. And every now and again, your need finds a way to God's presence. And when your need finds a way to God's presence, God's presence, oh God, finds a way to your need. And with that kind of clarity, who can stop you? With that kind of clarity, tell me the mountain that's too high. Tell me the valley that's too low. With that kind of clarity, don't speak to me of what you cannot do. Speak to, you, speak to me of what you can do and who you are and will be under the presence and love of God. Because there will be that moment where your deep soul need will come into God's presence and God's presence will come into your need. There have been times, and I'm done, beloved, where I have wrestled with things, labored with things internally, birthed by insecurity and at times doubt and at times trauma and at times pain. So great. I couldn't even tell anybody about it. 
All I could do was find some space and talk to God. And just talk. And sometimes it came quietly in the walk. Sometimes it came as I was reading or studying when I was younger in school. I couldn't tell everybody because sometimes when people see you a certain way, they can't handle your insecurities. When they see you a certain way, they can't handle you being authentic about your own sorrow, sadness, suffering, depression, misery. And so at times you lean into God and you talk to God. And then, and then sometimes while you're thinking about it, in the midst of you wrestling with the doubt and confusion and pain and misery and sorrow. You didn't even know that your need had a life of its own. And your need left you and found a way into God's purview. And before you knew it, God's presence met your need. I would like to believe that's what happened. While he was talking to God, maybe God didn't speak to his insecurity. Maybe God didn't try to address his self-doubt. He simply clarified who he was. You are my son. You are my daughter, the beloved. Many people have called you many things, but you tell them, God calls me beloved. And in you, I find pleasure. I am pleased. We are the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on us. And in us, God finds favor. Thank you, God, for necessary clarity. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you this day. We thank you this morning, O oh Lord, because somebody who felt like they were on the verge of losing their mind got clarity this morning. God, we belong to you. And not only that, but God, we have your presence and your love. That duo is unstoppable. God, thank you for reminding us that when we, when we are clear, we become an unstoppable force. Thank you, God. Thank you for those times when you meet us. Hey at our needs. We thank you, God. And God, I lift up those this morning who came to this worship experience not clear. I pray, God, I pray that today they gained a little clarity. That they are sons and daughters of you. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.